0: All right, be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study His words and His commands. And tonight, our topic is all about how we can effectively lead our children. And really, when you think about the question, how we can effectively lead people, including our friends, our loved ones, in other words, how to become a disciple. So how can we lead people to hunger and thirst for Yahusha so that they will place their cross and hope in Him for salvation? So let's go ahead and take a look at some... Of the things that we ought to be doing so that we can be effective parents, effective instruments in proclaiming the greatness of Yahuwah and Yahusha. So let's begin with this question How can we effectively lead our children to Yahusha? Number one, we're going to be sharing seven things that we need to do so that we can be effective. And number one is to accept the full responsibility to train our children in the way of the word and commit to it. Now, the reason why we need to accept that responsibility is because sometimes we're not even aware that we have such a responsibility. We just give it to the church. We give it to the minister. But the Bible says we as parents have that responsibility, and we must commit to it and carry it out. The book of Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, He will not depart from it. Why must we commit ourselves in training up a child? Because when we do so, when we put the time and make the effort to train up our children, when they get old, they will not depart from it. Now, of course, when a child enters what we call adolescence, they become teenagers, young adults. Sometimes they go wayward; they stray from what we have taught them when they were younger. And this is to be expected. However, if we have done our part in training up our children, when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. And so they will eventually return to the fold, to return to serving and worshiping Yahuwah. And so it's so vital that we train up our children. Let us not assume that just because we as parents are zealous in the faith, that automatically our children will also be zealous in the faith. In fact, when we study biblical history, there's a disturbing pattern that we need to be aware of to spur us into action so that we will take a more engaged effort in training up our kids. What is this pattern we find in scripture? In the book of Chronicles 23, 15 to 17, the sons of Moses were Gershom and Eliezer, The descendants of Gershom included Shebuel, the family leader. Eliezer had only one son. Rehobiah, the family leader. Rehobiah had numerous descendants. We all know about Moses. He was considered the greatest of the prophets. Moses was the leader of the Old Testament times. We all know about the law of Moses. So when it comes to the greatness of the faith of Moses, we know he was great indeed in the eyes of. Yahuwah. However, when we look at his children, the Bible says he had two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. Well, what do we know about the two? Not much. One should consider or one would think because they were raised by Moses, the man who spoke personally to Yahuwah, that Eliezer and Gershom would have a more prominent role as far as the people of Yasharal is concerned. But the Bible is silent about their role. Perhaps there is a shortcoming on the part of Moses when it comes to raising up his children. And this could be a possibility because when we look at this strange occurrence in the life of Moses, this is what we find in the book of Exodus 4.24-26, On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, Yahuwah confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, Yahuwah left him alone strange isn't it bible says yahuwah was about to kill moses in exodus chapter 3 yahuwah introduces himself to moses remember he says this is my name and this is what i want you to do i want you to lead my people out of egypt and the people of yahuwah are the people of circum of circumcision. And so here's Moses after he has an encounter with Yahuwah. He gets to know the meaning of his name, Yahuwah, I am who I am. And then he's going to go to Pharaoh. And so he takes his family with him. But on the way to Egypt, what does Yahuwah forget to do? He does not follow the teaching of Yahuwah and his son was not circumcised. And so this was a shortcoming to the point that Yahuwah was about to kill him. It's a good thing Zephora took matters into her own hands and circumcised uh, the son. And so we need to understand it's not automatic. You could be a great person of God, a man of faith, but you have to put the effort as well in taking care and raising up our children. What else? In the book of Leviticus 10:1 to 2 Aaron's sons, native and body, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed Yahuwah by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from Yahuwah's presence and burned them up, and they died there before Yahuwah. We know about Aaron, the brother of Moses. He was the high priest, and he was very careful when it comes to the command of Yahuwah. But he had his two sons, who were also priests, Nadab and a bayou. However, they were not so careful. They took for granted the priesthood. They took for granted their faith. And so according to this account, um, they offered a strange fire or a wrong fire. They used their own incense burner instead of the incense burner of the high priest, which was the case. And this was the wrong time to do what they were supposed to do. Now, many scholars believe this incident concerning native in Abayu, the they did so because they were drunk. In other words, they took for granted, and they did not really take seriously the office of the priesthood. And so the, the sons of Aaron, they had a tragic end, which is very sad. And we don't want this to happen to us. But it goes on. In the book of First Samuel, here's another one. Then Elkanah returned home to Ramah without Samuel. And the boy served Yahuwah by assisting Eli, the priest. So Eli was a trusted priest during this time. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for Yahuwah or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling. Can you imagine the blasphemy? Eli was a respected priest. He had two sons who were also priests. And what the Bible says, uh, they did not take seriously the priesthood. In fact, they mocked it, and they were scoundrels, troublemakers in the community of Yasharab. And so another example, a faithful man, Eli, children who did not grow up well in the faith. There's another one, the most respected judge of all time, Samuel. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges of Yasharal. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. You would think that the good qualities, the good character, the faithfulness of Samuel would somehow be transmitted automatically to his kids, like genes. Unfortunately, faithfulness are not like genes or DNA that you can pass on automatically and you don't have to worry about it anymore. It takes effort to be able to transmit the faith. And so sometimes we perhaps take for granted, I am faithful, and because I'm faithful, well, my kids are going to be automatically faithful. That's not the case when we study the history of the people of God. So we have Moses. We have Aaron, right, the high priest. We got the prophet. We got a high priest. We got another priest in Eli. And now we have a judge, a Samuel, who also became a teacher of prophets. Well, how about a king? I think we all know. That the greatest of the kings, according to Yahuwah himself, the man after his own heart, was David. Take a look at what happened to David. Let's read the book of 2 Samuel 17, 11 and 14. I recommend that you mobilize the entire army of Israel, bringing them uh, from as far away as Dan in the north and Beersheba in the south. That way you will have an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And I advise that you personally lead the troops. When we find David, we'll uh, we'll fall on him like dew that falls on the ground. Then neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. And if David were to escape into some town, you will have all Israel there at your command. Then we can take ropes and drag the walls of the town into the nearest valley until every stone is torn down. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Hushai's advice is better than Ahitophel's, for Yahuwah had determined to defeat the council of ah- Ahitophel, which really was the better plan, so that he could bring disaster on Absalom. And so what we have here is a conversation that, they, that uh, Absalom was having with some of his advisors, because he wanted to get a second opinion. He got he got. He received Ahithophel's advice, one of his advisors, and he also received the uh, other advice from Hushai, right? So he was kind of getting a second opinion. And Absalom happens to be who? Son of David, a physical son, descendant of David. And he was speaking to his advisors because they were going to lead a coup d'etat. They were conspiring to have David killed. And so they spread rumors about David. They conspired against David. Now they're going to plan to kill David. There's two ways they were going to go about it. And so Absalom was going to choose which plan is the better plan, Ahitophel's plan or Hushai's plan. He decided to go with Ahushai's advice, but the reason why he decided to take that route was because of the work of Yehuvah behind the scenes. Yehuva had determined to defeat the council of Ahitophel. In other words, he prompted uh, Absalom to choose um, Hushai's advice because he wanted to bring disaster on Absalom. And so Yahuwah intervened. That's the reason why David did not wind up dead. And so what we have here is David's own son was conspired to kill him. Isn't that sad? I mean, that's a great tragedy. And so what we need to understand and learn from this pattern of Scripture is simply this. As parents, we should not assume that when it comes to our faith, it is automatically transmitted to them. We have to be willing to train them, to train up our children. And it's also our understanding. It's also our experience, isn't it? When it comes to the children of some ministers, right, children of officers, what happens to their kids? Oftentimes they go wayward. And so this should signal us we need to be proactive, we need to be engaged, which is number one. We have to accept the full responsibility. We have to acknowledge that we need to be doing something and that we need to take the time make the effort to train our children in the way of the word and commit to training them okay that's number one what's step number two we have to lead by example because if we're going to teach them the way of the word but we're not living the way of the word we're going to sabotage the training process in fact it's going to work against us they're going to spot that we're a phony that we're a fake and if that happens we basically can kiss our faith goodbye and so we need to lead by example even when it comes to shepherding the people of God Paul advice, the shepherds keep watch over your selves, because if we're shepherding the flock, but we're not shepherding our own selves or we're not careful about our conditions spiritually, we're going to lead the flock away from the true shepherd. And so the best thing to do if we are parents is to become models, models of the faith, as the saying goes, it's better to be a good example because when you're a good example, that is more powerful than any amount of classroom teaching, right? This is why when you, are what you want to learn something, for example, you go to a university, and then you have what's called a practicum, and you have a mentor teaching you the steps. And the way it's effective is because it's hands-on, and so you get to mentor that person you're training, and so you lead by example. It's the same thing. This is why Apostle Paul says, imitate me, then, just as I imitate Christ. And so we imitate those who are true followers of Yahushua. When our children are young, guess what? Who do you think is the most influential person in their life when they're still young? Their parents. To the eyes, in the eyes of our kids, they idolize the parents. This is why... While they're so young, we need to train them up and teach them about the way of the faith. And so let us follow the good example of Yahusha. Because when we follow the good example of Yahusha, our children will follow and imitate what we are doing. So in what way must we be good examples? The Bible says in Titus, in all things, in all things, uh, you yourself must be an example of good behavior. Be sincere and serious in your teaching. You sound You Sound words that cannot be criticized. So we need to be role models in what we do and also what we say so that we cannot be criticized. In Titus 1:7 to 9, the Bible tells us of what is expected of a church leader. But even if we are not leading a church or the assembly, we are leading our family. And so the, the one thing that we need to understand concerning parents is if you're a parent, you're a leader. Whether you like it or not, you're a parent, you are a leader. You're leading your small flock called your household. And so if we want to be effective, we need to follow these guidelines. The criteria for what becomes or what makes for an effective leader of the family. The Bible says they need to be blameless. It doesn't mean perfect, but blameless. In other words, children cannot identify a very blatant fault on the part of their parents. And so we need to be careful in what they do. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for money. He must be hospitable and love what is good. He must be self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the message which can be trusted and which agrees with the doctrine. In this way, he will be able to encourage others with the true teaching. And also to show the error of those who are opposed to it. So the Bible says, if we want to be effective, you read the the, uh, last statement where the Apostle Paul is saying, in this way, he's telling us how we can be effective in training and teaching those we are leading. If we want to encourage others with the true teaching and be able to correct the others when they make errors, well, we have to first satisfy the requirements stated above it. What are these requirements? You have to be blameless. You cannot be arrogant. You can't be greedy for money. And you can't be violent. You can't be quick-tempered. You have to have self-control. You're upright, holy, and disciplined. So these are the qualities of a church leader. These are the qualities of a parent, because a parent is what again? A leader of his or her own household. And so a true follower of our King Yahushua, when they lead their their household, what should be the result of their life? Let's read the book of Matthew 5, 13 and 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And so how must our life be for us to be effective in leading people to Yahusha? Well, our life should bring a positive effect upon the people that we are influencing, like light and salt. Salt has benefits, light has benefits. For example, salt, what's the benefit of salt? It gives flavor. And so if we are like salt of the earth, we make following Yahushua flavorful, attractive. We want to know more about Yehusha. If we are lights of the world, we bring uh, light even when there is darkness. Darkness evokes fear. Light evokes confidence and peace. And so is our life bringing about the effect of light in our homes? Are we providing that good example? And so by our good deeds, we should be shining for our own Family, Because we're modeling for them what to do and what not to do. We're modeling for them to discern between what is good and what is bad. Be effective salt. Be effective Lights. Not only that, you know, we sh- parents should be the type of people uh, that children want to see. Because sometimes our parents, when the parents are not away, or when the parents are away, children are happy. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for my parents to leave. So they go to work, they come back. Oh, no, my parents are coming back. And so they become sad. I mean, I don't know. How do your kids like to spend time with you? Do they like your company? Because if our children do not like our company, I mean, even if they're teenagers, if they don't like our company, that's that's a bad sign. But if they miss you, if you're away, that's a good sign, right? And so what could be the thing that is missing that our children really want to experience when they're dealing with their parents. Let's read the book of 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God for us to become the type of people people want to hang around with our life should exude us like a, uh, the fragrance of Christ which is a sweet perfume and so people would want to hang out with us and be with us because of the fragrance right i mean you don't want to take a whiff and you smell something stenchy. <laughs> You want to avoid, you avoid that person, right? But if there's a fragrance that is sweet, a sweet perfume, you want to be with that person. In other words, let us lead by good example. And as we lead by good example, when we imitate our King Yahusha, our life ought to be like a sweet fragrance, inviting our children to, be with, to want to be with us and to be in companionship with us. And so that's how we must lead our life. Well, does it mean we have to be perfect? Because when you look at what we have uncovered so far, oh my goodness, you might be saying to yourself, I am so far from that. Well, we're not telling you to be perfect. None of us are perfect, but it's not about being perfect. It's about being what? Authentic. It's about being serious with our faith. And at the same time, understanding that we are fallen human beings doing our best to want to be like Yahuwah and to want to be like Yahushua. And when we fall, we're honest about it. We're humble about it. And so we confess our faults to one another. That's what it means to be authentic. What's the opposite of being authentic? And this is what our King Yahushua says in Matthew 6, 1 to 2. Make certain you do not perform your religious duties in public So that people will see what you do. If you do these things publicly, you will not have any reward from your father in heaven. So when you give something to a needy person, do not make a big show of it. As the hypocrites do in the houses of worship and on the streets. They do it so that people will praise them. I assure you, they have already been paid in full. And so what is the opposite of authenticity? It's when they practice religion only to be seen but not because they really wanna please the father and the son. This is why they're different, their persona is different in public and in private. You can see that they have two lines. Who they are in public is different from who they are in private. And children can see right through that. They can spot a phony, right? This is why we have to be really, really careful, careful Because in our home, we live as we are, right? We don't put on any masks at home. That's what makes the home a home. You can be yourself. The only problem with that is when you are yourself at home and you are different in public, I mean like radically different, you're showing hypocrisy. So you're proclaiming that you are religious and you have all these offices, you're doing all this work for the religion because all you really want is praise for yourself, the children can see right through that because in the house they see who you truly are. And when we become phony, right, when we practice hypocrisy and our children see it, do you know what conclusion they're going to make? Our religion's a hoax. Why would they follow that religion if it's a hoax? This is why the worst thing we can do, Brad, the worst thing we can do is hypocrisy to be hypocrites before our children. We need to practice what we preach. And Apostle Paul adds to that, do you, my friend, pass judgment on others? You have no excuse at all, whoever you are. For when you judge others and then do the same things which they do, you only condemn yourself. Sometimes parents say, do as, what I say? Do as I say, not, what is I, not, not as I do, Right? Do whatever you have, do whatever I tell you to because I'm the parent. That's not going to work. It's going to backfire. It's going to backfire. Also, Paul says you're actually condemning yourself. And so it's so important, so vital that we keep our integrity, meaning who we are on public, is the same as we are on in private. We practice our faith. And this includes controlling our own tongue. Do any of you think you are religious? If you do not control your tongue, your religion is worthless and you deceive yourselves. One way you can tell what's really inside a person is what comes out of their mouth. And so if a person is always full of profanity, you never have something disturbing inside. And so that has to be dealt with. We need to ask the Father Yahuwah, please regenerate my mind, my heart, so I can become authentic, an authentic follower of your son. And how can we show authenticity? But even though we're not perfect, we're doing our best. And instead of condemning, we're helping each other to grow as followers of Yahushua. In the book of James 5.16. So then confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. The prayer of a good person has a powerful effect. And so, brethren, as parents, like I said, we're not perfect. We commit sin. What should we do when we commit sin? When As parents if we are guilty of sin, the first thing we need to do is confess our sins to Yahuwah. But you know what? We also need to take another step if we are parents. If we are guilty of sin and our children see it, okay, we need to also confess our sins to our kids. We need to also confess our sins to our uh, fellow men, the people who know about our sin. Why? Because if not then we are giving or communicating that we are hypocrites, right? But if they see that we are sincere, that we confess our sins to each other, after we confess our sins to God, then we begin to heal. And our children see us as authentic. You know, my parents are not perfect, but they're authentic. They're real. And that will help when it comes to leading our children in the faith. Remember, they can spot a phony. They can spot a fake. But once they see someone authentic, they will appreciate that. And they will appreciate our message. Sometimes we mess up, right? And we say bad things to our kids. Why not take the time to humble ourselves and apologize? My son, my daughter, uh, please forgive me. I did not mean what I said to you or what I did to you, right? Because sometimes when you're you're angry, you do things that you regret later on. Own up to that and show your authenticity and say to your children, Let's talk about this. I apologize for what I've done and confess our sins to God to confess our sins to one another. So that's number two. And that's really, really powerful. That's why it took some time to make sure to try and drive home the point of authenticity is so important. So lead by example. That's step number two. Number three, this is also important. We have to take the time to build a loving relationship with our children. Yes, as parents, we are leaders. Yes, as parents, we must guide and train our children. But we can only do that effectively if we have a good relationship with them. Remember, we're not like army sergeants. We're not commanders and the, and our children are like people of the army. And so we get to tell them what to do. No, we establish a relationship with them. How do you do that? In Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, this is what Yahuwah instructs the parents to do. Okay, It says, teach them to your children, repeat them when you are at home and when you are away, when you are resting and when you are working. I want to ask you a question. For a parent to be able to complete or fulfill this command, to teach them, repeat it, wherever they may be, away, resting, working, What do you think is required for the parents to be able to complete or fulfill this command? What's required? How can you do all this, which is part of the Shema? How can you do all of this? You can only do this if you spend time with them. Tell me, how can you teach and repeat, whether they're home or away or resting or working, how can we fulfill this command if we don't spend time with our kids? It's impossible. When Yahuwah gave this command, It is with the understanding. The way you do it is by taking the time, the effort to build a loving relationship with our children. See, when it comes to building relationships, you need time without spending time with them or without putting the effort in building that relationship. It's not going to go very far. It's not going to be a foundation. So we need to bring a strong foundation by taking the time, making the effort to speak to our kids, right? You know, about 100 years ago, the average parent spent 54% of his waking hours with his kids. 54. <laughs> Today, that figure is only 18%. Actually, it's lower than that. In fact, one study said an average father spends only 8 to 10 minutes per day with his children. That's when he's scolding them. <laughs> you imagine that? They're not spending nearly enough time as they should. And the time they spend with their kids oftentimes is because they're getting reprimanded, they're getting scolded, uh, the father's angry. If that's the case, you cannot have a relationship. It's not a loving relationship. And so we need to put in the time. Now one might say, well, it's all about quality time, right? It's true. We need to have quality time with our kids. But the truth of the matter is you cannot have quality time without sufficient quantity. And so we need to spend time with our children and to make sure the time we spend with them is quality time. Let us make sure that we are strategic, that when we plan spending to spend time with them, that we have a plan. When we spend time with our children, let us make sure that more often than not, I'm not saying all the time, but more often than not, it should be positive. Like what the Bible says, how we laugh, how we sang for joy. Then the other nation said about us, Yahuwah did great things for them. I mean, life is short, brethren. You're not going to have your kids forever under your roof. While you have them, why not plan to do fun things together, Right? Plan to enjoy each other. Plan to laugh together. Because when a family laughs together, what do you think happens? When the family laughs together, it, you, you, you develop those strong bonds and you establish a relationship with them. And so strategically plan to spend more time doing positive things than negative things. As much as possible, we need to remove the negative things, but we know. Of course, we cannot control events and circumstances. There will be times when there's some negativity because after all, we have to discipline if needed. We have to rebuke if needed. But for the most part, let's kind of engineer opportunities so that we can have laughter and joy when we're with our children because what happens is they begin to associate joy and positive emotion, with the parents. And so that would naturally cause them to be inclined to spend more time with you, which is what we want, right? But it's not just having um, positive time together. When it comes to building a loving relationship with our children, we also need to consider one very important factor. What is that? In Philippians chapter 2, 2-4, to four, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Remember, we want to build a loving relationship. How do you build a loving relationship? Number one, take some time, right? Number two, make the effort. And number three, We have to spend time, make the effort to love our children. And when it comes to loving our children, it's not about selfishness, but about selflessness. What does that imply? It means when we think of our children, we think not of our own interests, but their interests. In other words, if we want to build a loving relationship, we need to do our best to understand our children because they have a different personality from you. My son, my daughter, they will have likes and dislikes that are different from mine. And so if you want to build a loving relationship, well, I think it begins with understanding who they are as a person, what they like, what they don't like, and also understanding what is called their love language. A number of years ago, there was a book that was published. It was called The Five Languages of Love, written by Gary Chapman. And in this book, he teaches about the five ways that people receive love and that people have preferences for how they are to be loved. This is why if you really want to show the person that you love the person, you have to ask the person, what is your love language? How do you want to be loved. What, what do I need to do to tell you and communicate to you, I love you? Because people are different. They have different love languages. And this is what Gary Chapman talks about. He talks about five love languages. And here, in, in, I recommend, by the way, reading that book and also going to his website, fivelovelanguages.com. And so what are the five love languages? The premise of the five love languages book is quite simple. Different people with different personalities give and receive love in different ways. By learning to recognize these preferences in yourself and in your loved ones, you can learn to identify the root of your conflicts, connect more profoundly and truly begin to grow closer. And so we need to identify, well, what's my child's love language? What is his preference? How can I do things that express and connect with him Telling him, informing him, informing her that I do love him. Well, what are the five love languages? Well, there, there are those whose love language is acts of service. And this is uh, for these people, actions speak louder than works when you do things for your child, like right? take them to school or help them with their homework or their project, right? That's an act of service so that is a love language. What else? Receiving gifts. It doesn't have to be extravagant. But for some people, receiving a heartfelt gift, maybe even a note that makes them feel most loved, you know, small tokens. There are people whose love language are gifts, okay? Quality time. There are people whose love language is all about giving the other person your undivided attention. When you take the time to listen, when you take the time to spend uh, what is in your mind, um, what and being able to understand and, and strike a conversation with your child, right? And there are those whose love language is words of affirmation. Uh, This language uses words to affirm other people. This is when you say to your son, your daughter, I'm proud of you. Uh, I know you can do it. I believe in you, right? And there are people who, for most of our children, words of affirmation are so powerful. And they lack it sometimes, you know, because... They're doing work, and they're expecting that you will recognize it and that you will acknowledge what they're doing. And for many of teenagers, many of the children, this is what they really long for, words of affirmation that you notice, that you care, and that you affirm, you know. And there's also physical touch. This is for those who are in need of affection. And some children, they thrive on affection. Now, it doesn't mean you only have one primary. You can have several combinations of this. People are different. You just need to discover what your children prefer. So if your ch- child prefers quality time or words of affirmation, but then you're giving them gifts, it's not going to work. This is why there are people who are born in a wealthy family, but the children don't feel loved. That's because the parents are showering them with so many gifts. That's not their love language. Their love language is something else. So there's that disconnect. And so you need, to, you need to observe, you need to communicate so that you can establish that loving relationship with your children. And why is that so important? Because remember, it's only in the context, it's in the context of a loving relationship that religious instruction becomes most impactful. As the saying goes, people don't care what you know until they know first that you care. Because when they are in a loving relationship with you, then what you have to say to them, what they have to teach to what you have to teach to them, they know, they know it's for their own good and they will listen. They will not be defensive because defenses drop down when you are in the context of a loving relationship. So before we can even train, before we can teach religion, we need to establish that loving relationship first. Otherwise, everything that we say is gonna backfire. We need to establish that loving relationship. First. So that's number three. Build a loving relationship with your children. Requires time, needs effort, and we need to practice love. Okay. Next, we go to strategically teach and nurture the word. So now you have established a rapport with your child. You have a relationship, a loving relationship. That's good. Now it's time to teach. But how should we teach? And what should we teach? Deuteronomy 6, 6-7, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Right. And so what is the teaching of Yahuwah? so that we can be effective teachers of the word of God. Bible says, we want to impress them on your children. A parent can teach a child, but the question is, does the child respond to your teaching in a positive way? Have you made an impression on the child? Because if you teach, but it enters one ear and out the other, as the saying goes. Do you make an impression? No, you only make an impression. Is only make you only make an impression if and only if what you teach enters the mind, process, and enters where the heart. That's when you make an impression. So, how can we create opportunity so that we can make an impression upon our children when we teach? The words of Elohim. Well, the Bible says, talk about them. What do you mean? Talk about them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get yeah. up. When you think about those opportunities, these are examples of what is called informal instruction, right? You see, if we want to make an impression, we need to do two things. We need to get our children receiving both formal instruction and informal instruction. When do we receive formal instruction? Worship service, Bible study, right? Go to a class. But what reinforces the formal instruction is informal instruction. Because if we're going to be honest, when a person receives formal instruction, sometimes they're not interested, right? Sometimes they're not listening especially today because we live today in the tiktok age where people are not willing to listen to a sermon that's 30 minutes long what they want is what how long is tiktok video shorts you have youtube shorts it's like one minute you only have one minute to teaching right and so now we need to kind of look at our situation today because like 50 years ago the attention span of our kids was a lot longer. Today, in the TikTok age, what's the attention span of our kids? One minute. And so that means informal instruction is the way to go, right? Yes, they have formal instruction, but it needs to be reinforced with informal instruction. So we need to create opportunities to teach kids bits and pieces. Not a whole lesson, but bits and pieces here. Maybe talk about Elijah in a certain part about Elijah. Oh, son, my daughter, you know, this event about Elijah. This reminds me of what you're watching on TV. And then you can have a conversation. Or maybe you're, you're, you're at Denny's and you're eating pancakes together. And then you talk about manah. Oh, you know, in the days of Israel, how Yahuwah poured manna. But you know, there's a better kind of manah that Yahuwah is giving us today. And that's Yahusha. And so when you talk about it in bits and pieces, they begin to process, right? And they begin to, we begin to plant the seeds. So that's what we need to do. To strategically teach the words of Elohim, we need to plant seeds here and there. Don't plant all of your seeds at once because nowadays they can't absorb it. One seed at a time, right? Don't overwhelm them. One seed at a time. And so what we need to create in our home is an atmosphere of open communication. In other words, we should encourage our children to ask questions about matters of faith. You know, when we were growing up, nobody was allowed to question the faith, right? Just believe it. That does not work in this age. It will not work in this day of age. You cannot say to your child, just believe it, just have faith. No, you have to encourage the children to ask questions about matters of faith. And when they begin to realize I can ask these questions about faith, then we have the opportunity to teach. We have an opportunity to plant, we have an opportunity to make an impression, right? An impression upon our children so encourage them because if we're not going to encourage them to ask questions if we're going to be angry with them for asking questions guess what's going to happen they're going to have doubts and these doubts that are never addressed eventually it will cause them to leave the faith and so give create the environment where children are inspired to ask questions about the faith now we as parents we need to be ready to give the answer right right and so Apostle Peter says, uh, but have reverence for Christ in your hearts and honor him as the Lord. Be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Keep your conscience as clear so that when you are insulted, those who speak evil of your good, care, your good conduct as followers of Christ will be ashamed of what they say. So the Bible tells us We have to be knowledgeable of Scripture. We need to grow in knowledge to be able to explain our hope and our faith. Because if we can't explain our faith and our hope, how can we transmit that faith and our hope to our kids? Do you get it? We need to have an understanding of our faith. This is why learning the Scripture is ongoing. This is why we need to study the Bible. We need to join the discipleship training program. We need to read the Bible for ourselves. And if we're confused about something, ask someone who may know the answer. If our children ask questions and we don't know the answer, why not seek the help of someone who does? So that we can address those questions. But the one thing we must never do is to bark at our kids. When they ask a question, when you respond with anger, <laughs> stop asking those questions. Just believe what I say, just accept the faith. No, it's not going to work. We need to always give a, an answer, especially now, because when Apostle Peter was writing this, there were many different philosophies back then. There were growing philosophies back then. How about today? Yeah, and what's the, the reason why it's more challenging today is because these philosophies, are everywhere in school and also throughout the net, the internet. And so Apostle Paul says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So the Bible tells us that there's always going to be these empty philosophies The result of human thinking guided by the spiritual powers of this world. And they will contend with our faith. And so we, to strategically plant the seeds of the word of God in such a way so that we contend against these empty philosophies, we need to identify the major ones today. And so in the 21st century, the empty philosophies of human thinking are as follows. There's the idea of relativism naturalism, evolution, and the new age. What's relativism? Relativism is the belief, the doctrine, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And so one culture may express a truth in their religion. Another culture will express a truth in their religion, but they're all true because it's according to their culture. And so there's no longer an absolute truth. The problem with that is, If that were true, then even if there's no religion, it's okay because after all, how can all religions be true when they all conflict with one another? This is why it's very, very dangerous because along this idea of relativism is that young people are are feeling obligated to accept and believe all religions are true, right? And so if all religions are true, then why even bother? Why even bother pursuing a religion? So, you know, we need to understand in the back of our minds, this is what our kids are being, are growing up into, because that's the messaging of uh, internet, Facebook, and social media, what they call religious tolerance. But their idea of religious tolerance is that all religions are true. What's our idea of religious tolerance? We respect other people's religion, but we believe in absolute truth because if there's no absolute truth, then what's the point? <laughs> and so we need to kind of show them, you know, the Bible's different. This is why nowadays people question the Bible. What makes the Bible different from the other religious books? So from time to time, you know, when you drop those nuggets of truth, share with them something that you've learned, you know, one minute time. For example, you are... You know, leisurely sitting together in the comfort of your own home, you're on the sofa. Why not, you know, my son, my daughter, look at this word in the beginning. You know, in Hebrew, it's Bereshit. And Bereshit means this. Wow, that's something they probably never thought of. This is what proves the Bible is different from other books. The plan of salvation was in the first word. This was not invented by man. This is the plan of Yahuwah, and it's in the first word. You know, you drop something like that, what happens? They become curious. They begin to see that the Bible is really different. Share with them prophecies, share with them something that confirms and affirms the scripture so that they will begin to ask those questions. Relativism, naturalism, or evolution it's the belief that. All that there is in the universe is what is natural. There's no such thing as supernatural. This is why God did not create us, we evolved, right? Share with them, you know, what the findings of ev- the, the science of evolution, why it's going down. Share, share with them the new the new discoveries in the James Webb telescope. You know, James Webb telescope is revealing galaxies from far, far away and the fact that they're fully fledged, full fledged galaxies already, it's really destroying the known laws of physics on cosmology. And it's proving more and more that Yahuwah created the universe with, you know, with the semblance of age. And so it's interesting. You can talk about that, by, you know, you can drop in this uh, truths here, truths there, make them really hunger for the word of God. New age. What is new age? There are some people who don't believe in naturalism, but they go overboard, right? And they believe that they themselves are also God. And so they delve into the occult and to witchcraft and to black magic and this belief in reincarnation or belief in that you have some powers to control reality, okay? And so these are the things that we need to have in the back of our mind. So when we teach, we kind of have these little things that we need to kind of contend against. And we bring all of these philosophies to bow down to our King Yahusha. However, the best way to destroy this ideology and human thinking, you know what the best way is? It's right here in the book of John 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to Yahusha. You see, the whole point of Scripture is not simply to give us a rule, uh, to give us rules to live by. Yes, we have commandments, but first and foremost, the purpose of Scripture is to point us to have a relationship with who? Yahusha. You see, when you're going to tell your kids, oh, you know, live this, do this, do that, do that, we have all these rules, but then you miss the most important part, which is who. So when we teach, we need to always lead them to Yahusha. We need to understand the purpose of the commands is to point people to have a loving relationship with our king, Yahusha. Because if they miss the relationship, they're going to fade away. Because relationship with Yahusha is what keeps you going. That's what keeps you going, to be able to continue to obey the commandments. That's why Yahushua says, the scripture point to me. You're searching the scripture, good, but always for, remember, they point to me. So if we search the scripture, become knowledgeable of scripture, but we don't have a relationship with Yahushua, then whatever we know, the prophecies we know, the Hebrew we know, that amounts to nothing. It should take us to Yahushua. And so we need to grow, right? We need to grow more and more in love with Yahushua. That's why Apostle Paul says we no longer become immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Why? Because they have, they have now a relationship with Yahushua, a loving relationship with him. That's what it means to become mature. Because when you have a loving relationship with Yahushua, you become more and more like him. That's what relationships do. You become more and more like the person you relate with. And when you become more and more like Yahushua, you no longer are immature like children who believe every wind of new teaching. You're deeply rooted in Yahushua. And so that's how we keep our children engaged. They need to have that relationship. And it's a wonderful thing to have that relationship because when our children... Develop that relationship with Yahushua, they will be able to, verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to to understand fully, and you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Teaching religion is not just teaching the commands. It's not just teaching the Bible. It's not just teaching the words. It's also experiencing who? Yahusha. And this is the missing part. And when it comes to our children, they don't experience Yahusha. How can you trust Yahusha? How can you go to Yahusha if you don't experience him? This is why our teaching, when we teach the Bible, we need to always, always point them to Yahuwah and Yahusha. Because when that happens, when you begin to trust Yahusha, Yahusha lives in their heart. The experience that love, that love is what's going to keep them strong in the faith. But also, should we strategically teach our children? In Colossians 3, 1-4, you have been raised to life with Christ, who set your hearts on the things that are in heaven, where Christ sits on his throne at the right-hand side of God. Keep your minds fixed on things there, not on things here on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is Christ. And when he appears, then you too will appear with him and share his glory. You know, when we're teaching our children informally, we need to talk about, you know, heaven, what it's like to be in heaven, what it's like to be in the holy city, what it, what it could be like to have a different body, what it's like to be in the kingdom. I mean, do we talk about these things for our kids? Because if we will always remind them, you know what, son, daughter, our life is not just for this earth. Remember what Apostle Paul said? If your hope in Christ is only for this life only, you are the most pitiable. Brethren, the bulk of our life is not going to be here. We're just passing through. And so we need to understand when we teach our children about education, and we tell them to do their best, to have a good living? We have to always add, we have to always remind them, son and daughter, remember, this life here is nothing. It's going to pass away. This is transitory. Our real life is when Yahusha appears. And so we need to have them always, always thinking about the things in heaven. Get them excited about the things in heaven. Those are the things that we need to teach our children. So that's number four strategically strategically teach and nurture uh, the word. Number five, practice emotional intelligence. When we're raising our kids, we need to be emotionally intelligent. What does that mean? Ephesians 6, verse 4 Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from. The Lord, you know, it's very challenging to raise up children because, first of all, we love them. Second of all, children naturally do foolish things. And when children do foolish things, you're provoked to anger. And when you are provoke to anger, you sometimes do things without thinking. And so your emotion gets the best of you and you end up doing something emotionally unintelligent, right? For example, you, you lash at them or you become angry. The Bible says we need to practice emotional intelligence, but it doesn't use the word emotional intelligence, right? But it tells us what emotional intelligence is about. It's about not provoking your children to anger by the way you treat them. And so we need to be mindful of how we respond. And we need to be mindful of how, how our children could respond. We need to be mindful of the fact that children are different from us. We're mature. They're immature. We have different personalities from them. Right. And so it says, bring them up with the discipline and instruction. Yes, we need to teach. Yes, we need to discipline if need be, but we must do so practicing emotional, emotional intelligence. So, what's the beginning of emotional intelligence? In the book of James, 1:19, and 20. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness, God. Desires. If we can highlight just one emotion that is responsible for destroying so many households, it's the emotion of what? Anger. We need to be mindful of our anger because when you're angry, you can end up destroying your whole family. Because if you're angry, you say things and do things that you're going to regret. This is why we need to control our anger. How can we control our anger? Ask the help of Yahuwah. Ask the help of Yahushua, that we be self-controlled. And so for us to overcome our anger, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Take the time to listen to what the other person is saying. That's a big part of emotional intelligence. Knowing, uh, listening for cues. Because sometimes what our children is telling us or not telling us communicates something in between the words. And so we try to decipher that. Their facial expression, their voice, their gestures, their posture. It all communicates something. And so we need to learn that, okay? So we need to practice emotional intelligence. There's this article I want you to look at. It's uh, written by Kathy and Ross Petras, contributors. There are 13 phrases that we use. And when we use these 13 phrases, it's a sign of using higher emotional intelligence. This is from uh, cnbc.com, okay? Maybe this was recently written. And these are, I want to kind of introduce you to 13 phrases of emotional intelligence. Number one, for example, could you tell me more about that? You're having a conversation with your kids. People who lack self-awareness only care about their own thoughts and opinions. But emotionally intelligent people are interested in how others feel and what they have to say. That's so important when it comes to relating with teenagers. Communicate in a way that encourages people to talk about their feelings and experiences and use their responses as a learning opportunity. So you want them to express their emotions. You want them to express their feelings. Okay. Number two, I hear you. So by telling someone that you understand them, you set up a cooperative environment, perfect for team building. Other similar phrases like, I see what you mean, and I get what you're driving at. It signals that you're truly listening and opens up the lines of communication. Another one, I understand what you're saying, but you know this phrase highlights another important aspect of emotional intelligence the ability to act diplomatically when dealing with difficult people and situations. If you disagree with someone, and this is gonna happen a lot, express it in a tactful, non-confrontational way. The goal, remember, is to make it easier to arrive at a mutually agreeable solution. Okay, so those are three phrases. Okay, what else? Number four, how do you feel about that? To make people feel acknowledged and respected, Pay attention and take time to understand and empathize with them. As you listen, make an effort to put yourself in their shoes in a meaningful way. Number five, I'm not sure what's wrong. Could you explain the problem? With this phrase, you know that someone is having an issue, and instead of reacting negatively, which is a common human response, you actually invite them to share their thoughts. And as they do so, It gives us the opportunity to understand where they're coming from. Similar alternatives are, can you clarify that for me? Or what I'm hearing from you is that blank. Is that right? So you're clarifying what they're thinking and what they're saying. Because a lot of times when we have this disagreements and arguments, we don't really understand where they are coming from, right? So try to understand that. Number six, what do you mean? When you ask someone for clarification, you're asking them to say something in a different way or provide more information so that you understand them better. This is different from asking a person to repeat something. So when you ask, what do you mean? It gives the opportunity for the person to process and to listen to himself or herself thinking and saying. And so when they begin to process what they're thinking, maybe, who knows, they might understand, okay, maybe there's a glitch in my thinking. Maybe there's something that I'm not getting right. And so maybe it leads to a change in their thinking. Okay. Number seven, great job. Showing appreciation goes a long way. It acknowledges other people's efforts and accomplishments. When you compliment someone, you immediately set up a positive vibe. Saying I appreciate you makes others appreciate you more. Especially when there's conflict. Try to look for something to praise. Try to look for something positive. Because if there's uh, an argument, and then it's all negatives, right? So it it creates a negative spiral. And so the negativity negativity feeds off of itself. It creates a negative spiral, so the pattern keeps getting worse and worse. But if you take the time and destroy that cycle of negativity by finding something positive, it could create an upward spiral, okay? So look for something to appreciate. Uh, number eight, you have both good points, let's see how we can work uh, together. So this phrase can help you diplomatically work through trouble spots by acknowledging different points of views. Uh, Once you've encouraged everyone uh, to share their concerns, you can more easily solve a potential problem. Studies have shown the the ability to resolve conflicts is a trademark of emotional intelligence. So we need to understand there's always different perspectives. Always options. There are always options, different ways of seeing things. Number nine, I love your input on this. This phrase and similar ones like, can I get some advice from you? Or do you mind if I ask uh, for some in- input? Are golden. You're allowing someone else to feel proud of themselves, which makes them think very positively about you. Okay. Number 10, this, this situation makes me worried or confused or upset. And there's a problem, emotionally intelligent people don't focus on the person who created it, but on the overall situation. This way, you're not blaming someone or putting them on the defensive side. Instead, you're explaining how you feel about what happened, which helps you avoid sounding passive aggressive or antagonistic. And so what you don't want to happen is for the person to be defensive, because if a person's defensive, he stops listening and your conversation will have no purpose, okay? Uh, number 11, I feel this way about. So when you're emotionally intelligent, you connect with your emotions as they happen in the moment. This type of self-awareness allows you to, be, to better share your emotions and impressions with other people, which, make, which both makes them feel closer to you and encourages them to do the same. Number 12, I'm sorry. Having a healthy dose of humility is a common is common among people with high emotional intelligence. Don't be afraid to say "I'm sorry" when you make a mistake. Admit it. Genuinely apologize to whomever deserves it. And lastly, number thirteen, thank you. Right? Uh, don't forget those magic words you were taught when you were a kid. Please, thank you. You're welcome. Are always appreciated. Common courtesy is sadly. Not that common these days, according to studies, being polite is not only a mark of high emotional intelligence. It's also a way of showing respect for others, which makes them regard you more highly. And so when we're dealing with our kids, we also need to show them respect that they're human beings. Yes, the dynamic of the relationship is uh, children respect parents as parents, but we also need to acknowledge that their children who have their own challenges, who have their own points of view, right? And so we need to understand their perspective as well. Respect them enough to listen to them. Respect them enough to understand what they're feeling, what their what their emotions are telling them. That way you connect. And that connection is what leads to dramatic influence in the lives of our children. So... Practice emotional intelligence, that's number five. Number six, modeling trust in difficult times. As parents, if we want our children to be led to Yahuwah and to Yahusha, we need to always remind them of the works of our Father. In Psalm 78, we will not keep them from our children. We will tell the next generation, about Yahuwah's power and his great deeds and the wonderful things he has done so that the next generation might learn them and in turn should tell the children in this way they also will put their trust in God and not forget what he has done but always obey his commands. While you have the opportunity brethren we have to help our children develop and build trust in Yahuwah because It's one thing to believe in the Bible. It's another thing altogether to trust in Yahuwah, who had the Bible written. So we want them to trust. Yes, we we want them to love Yahuwah. We also want them to trust Yahuwah. And how do you teach trust? Very hard to teach trust, because you can only learn trust when you go through a difficult time. However, you can prepare your children to go through a difficult time by reminding them of what Yahuwah has done in the past. So let them know about what Yahuwah has done in your life. Have you ever taken a time to share, you know, like what happened when they were younger in times of a crisis, what happened, how Yahuwah helped in the past? You need to remind them all the time. You know, when you were this age, you became sick and Yahuwah helped us you know when in 2016 this happened to our family we were exiled we were removed or something and yahuwah blessed us and gave us this and so when children have this collection of experiences of what yahuwah had done for us for them in the past they become the building blocks by which trust can develop when it's our turn When it's their turn to go through the fire, because you only really learn trust when you go through the fire. Trust is learned not in the classroom, it's in the crucible of hardship and pain that trust is learned. And so we need to prepare them by allowing them to remember I need to hold on to the promises of Yahuwah. Yahuwah has helped us, has helped me before, he will help me again. Okay. And this is why Yahuwah permits us to go through difficult times, just like uh, the brethren during the time of Apostle Paul. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we, need, we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. And learn to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from moral danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. Brethren, whether we like it or not, we're going to face challenges up ahead. Right? And when we do face challenges, a fiery trial, like a trouble that we think we will not be able to endure. You know what that is? those are opportunities for our family to learn together how to trust Yahuwah and to experience his deliverance. And that's what's missing in the lives of many of our children, the experience of faith, the experience of the power of Yahuwah during difficult times. And so if you lose your job, if you get sick, if you're losing your, your, you're not able to pay mortgage payment, you're losing your house. Why not talk to your children about the situation? Don't shield them from the problems you're facing. Let them know about it. Share it with them. And then you pray together. Together, you remind them, "Yahuwah is faithful. You will not abandon us. He will be with us. And then you pray together. And then Yahuwah delivers. Do you know what you just created? An experience of trust. An experience of faith. That's what we need. And so whenever there's times of crisis in life, use that as an opportunity. So that our children can all the more learn what it means to trust in the power of Yahuwah. And it's often in times of weaknesses that we learn that. This is why Apostle Paul was denied healing when he asked for it. Three times I prayed to the Lord about this and asked him to take it away. But his answer was, my grace is all you need for my power is greatest when you are weak. I am most happy then to be proud of my weaknesses in order to feel the protection of Christ's power over me. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. But when I am weak, then I am strong. Brethren, our children are going to go through tests. They're going to go through difficult times. But remind them, that only creates more room for them to feel the power of Christ in them. Teach them to find that power so that they begin to realize and say to themselves, I am weak, then I am strong. If we can model that for them, If we can teach that to them when they grow up, it's never going to leave them. It's going to be a part of who they are. And so while we have the opportunity, let us model trust in difficult times. And lastly, brethren, if we want to raise our children to be faithful and loyal to Yahuwah and to Yahushua, we need to trust in the continuing work of Yahuwah and Yahusha. Yes, we have our part. But the part that matters most is who? Yahuwah. Do you think Yahuwah wants our children to be saved? Yeah. He wants all people to be saved. Especially the children of his children. He wants our children to grow up in the faith. That's why he's on our side. He wants to provide that. And so what must we do? We need to trust. We need to trust. When it comes to trusting Yahuwah, we need to be patient with his timing, right? This is why we need to do our part. We need to do what is within our control, what is out of our control. We need to let Yahuwah do that. What is in our control? Well, basically, the one who sows and the one who waters really do not matter. It is God who matters because he makes the plant grow. Did we do our part? Did we plant the seeds? If we nurture our children. We need to do both. We teach, we create a loving environment. We set up a loving relationship with our kids, right? We nurture their hearts. We keep planting the seed. When you have that together, you have to let Yahuwah do the rest. You have to trust him, brethren. It's not what we do that matters, it's what Jehovah does. That matters. He's the one who will make the plant grow. He's the one who will make our children grow. And why will he cause our children to grow? Why can we trust Yahuwah for that? The book of Psalms, a beautiful passage. Unless Yahuwah builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless Yahuwah protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from Yahuwah. They are a reward from him. See, children is a heritage, a gift from Yahuwah to us. We do our part. However, we must rely not on what we do, but on what Yahuwah does. If we will build a household... If we will build and protect our children, if Yahuwah does not build it, the work of the builders is wasted. If we will protect our children, but Yahuwah doesn't protect it, our protection will be no good. And so we need to always ask Yahuwah for help. We need to ask him. Let us build this family together. Trust in Yahuwah. Pray to Yahuwah every day. Pray about your kids. Pray with your kids. And when we pray to Yahuwah, what should we ask from our loving Father? Let's read what it says in the book of Exodus 34, 5-7. And Yahuwah came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his name, Yahuwah. Yahuwah passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahuwah, Yahuwah, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love. To a thousand generations, brethren. When we pray about our children, when we pray to Yahuwah, let us ask Yahuwah to remember that He is the God of compassion and mercy. Yahuwah, when He had this theophany experience for Moses, said to call doubt His only name Yahuwah, Yahuwah, because He was expressing that that name exudes compassion and mercy and something that we need to remember, unfailing love. Call upon Yahuwah. Rely and trust in the unfailing love of Father. We've done our part. We planted the seed. We nurtured the love. Let Yahuwah do the rest because he will not fail us. The Bible says he will lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations that includes our children. Yes, when we read scripture, there's this pattern of the children kind of falling away. But brethren, if you will ask Yahuwah to bless our children, if we will do our part, Yahuwah will cause that to work together for good. And when Yahuwah lavishes his unfailing love, what will be our conviction? What will be our belief and our faith as we trust Yahuwah? Let's read the final passage of our studies in the book of Psalms 2710. Even if my father and mother abandon me, Yahuwah will hold me close. Eventually, if the return of our king doesn't happen yet, the time will come when we will have to depart and we will pass. We can be confident, brethren, Yahuwah will not abandon our children. They will be able to experience the the love of Yahuwah and be able to say, even if my father and my mother abandon me, Yahuwah will hold me close. We can be confident Yahuwah will not abandon our children. Let us trust Yahuwah in all things and ask him to bless our homes. Or we have the opportunity to build let us. build. Or we have the opportunity to plant the seeds. Plant the seeds. But at the same time, always place your trust in the work that Yahuwah is able to complete. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, most holy and gracious Allahim. You are indeed Yahuwah, the God of compassion and mercy. The God of unfailing love. We know you never give up on your children. You love. Our children, we think about them all the time. They give us joy, but sometimes they do things that cause us to worry and fear. Father, help us to be your instruments, to lead by example, to teach, to plant your words, to nurture love, to practice love. Teach us, Father, to create opportunities to be able to share our faith in our experiences with them, open their minds and their hearts, that they will learn from you. When we teach them, Father, help them to be accepting. They are very young, very impressionable, but we are doing battle against the ways of the world. And we know the world is relentless with social media and everything that is happening throughout school, They are facing so many many challenges. Father, be close to them. Help us to do our best to establish a relationship that they are able to share what is happening in their life. But if for some reason they are reluctant to do so and you see them praying to you, Father, please listen from heaven. Give them an experience that they will not forget that they will hunger and thirst for you and trust you for all things in their life. We don't know how long we have left to be with them and to spend time with them. Abba, we ask you, if ever your will is that we part ways from them, take care of them. Hold them close to your hand. Do not abandon them. Help them, Father, if ever they fall astray to return to you, help them to grow in faith, to develop their trust. We can only do so much. We are relieved to understand it's really not about us. We have done our part, but it's not what is important. It is what you do, build our homes, build the faith of our young children, help them to grow faithful to you. And to always remember you in their life, Mm -hmm. keep them from harm and danger, help them, Father, to be successful, but more than anything, to be godly, to be faithful, to be loyal to you, to love you more than anyone and anything. Our King Yahushua, we want to be like you. May you please bless our children, be close to them. May you please communicate to their hearts. Help them to experience the depth, the height, the width, the length of your great love. That as they experience you, they will love you more and more and trust you more and more. Defend and protect them from wickedness and the adversary, because we know the adversary will do its best to try and devour our children. You are the good shepherd. Protect and preserve them. Heal them of all sicknesses. Bless them with wisdom that comes from you. Father, we believe you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed the parents who are here. Bless us with health and strength and wisdom to be able to teach. We ask everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.